Good morning. Well, you know, one of these days we're back to normal again. Uh, you know, we made the decision uh, Friday that they keep making the temperature say it's going to be lower, and so we don't know if it's precipitation or not, but we knew that it was going to be cold for a lot of people, so we decided to go online this morning. And so here we are again uh, online. I hope that uh, everybody is warm and comfortable and uh, ready to hear from God this morning. You know, this week we are in our fourth week in our series, Abide, Alive, Fruited in Jesus. So far we've talked about uh, being Him the vine and we the branches, that, that we have to abide in order to get everything He wants for us. We've talked about abiding in His love and that we should have love like He has love. We've talked about abiding last week. We talked about abiding in His life and that our very life, our very identity is wrapped up in the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And so this week we move to a character quality that followers of Jesus should exude. Um, and for whatever reason, this quality seems to be one of the hardest things for people to truly follow Jesus in. It's something that we must all accept as well as receive. It is a quality we must learn to abide in that is grace. And grace is the giving of something that is not deserved, differentiated from mercy, which is just not getting what you deserve. Grace is the giving of what is not deserved in spite of not getting what is deserved. That's grace. Grace isn't simply, oh, I should have been punished and daddy didn't punish me. Grace is not only did daddy not punish me, but he took me to get ice cream too. So when we talk about God's grace, it isn't simply that God doesn't punish the sinner. It isn't that God doesn't uh, send a lightning bolt down. It's, it's that God not only doesn't punish at times, but he gives the reward. He gives eternal life in Jesus. And Jesus lived a life defined by grace. Jesus lived a life that exuded grace. And if we are rooted in him, we should be like him. If we are rooted in him, we should look like him. Our lives should look like his life. We should have his grace shining within us. Now how? How does that work? What does that look like? Well, you know, in order... For grace, for His grace to manifest in our lives, we must first realize our own frailty and failings. If I have a life verse, it's the verse we've talked about so many times since I've gotten here. It's over there in the book of 2 Corinthians and the 12th chapter and the 9th verse where, where God says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is perfected in weakness. When we see that and when we know that and we begin to understand that our own frailty and failings make us need grace, we begin to see the power of God. Because God doesn't move in our lives until we acknowledge our dependence upon Him. He doesn't move until we say, yes, Lord, we want you to be in our lives. God's a gentleman. He stands at the door and knocks. He doesn't bust in. He doesn't force us to do anything. He waits for us to come to the realization that we are frail and that we fail. In our weakness, He is strong. 
We try so hard to do things in our strength, but we can never have His grace in our own strength. When we acknowledge our inability to live in His grace, His grace begins to shine through us. Our weakness shows His grace. Our weakness allows Him to show grace to people around us. It's our weakness that His power becomes more profound. We can be more readily used by submitting to His grace rather than through our own actions. As much as I want to try, there are certain things, there are certain people that I just cannot give grace to on my own. There are certain situations that make my blood boil that I have a hard time just letting go of. But when we allow God to move, we find that our actions go to the back. And by doing that, the grace in our lives can be as the grace in His life. And as I searched for a text for this morning, for us to really see where the grace of Jesus shines through, I came to a very... Um, a very familiar passage for a lot of us, but it's also a passage that many Bibles have the notes in there that it's not in the best manuscripts, but it's still one of my favorite passages. It's over in John 8. And Jesus there is confronted with the situation. He is confronted with how to, uh, how to put the law into practice in a very real way. And so there in John chapter 8, we pick up there in verse 2, and it says, At dawn, he went to the temple complex again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. And Jesus stooped and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older man. And only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now, and we thank you, we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would be with us this morning, Father, that you would use me as a vessel. Father, may the words that I say be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you, and we praise you, and we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake, and all God's people said. Amen. You know, most of the time when we read this text, we focus on the woman. We focus on the grace that Jesus shows her. We focus on this poor soul who has been drug out. You know, the questions that come to my mind were, if she was caught in adultery, where's the man? Because the man has punishment too. There are things that are not right in this situation. We want to talk of his action usually, though, towards her and her forgiveness. And most headings in our Bibles are about the same thing. In this Bible, it says an adulteress forgiven. Now, the greater story here is Jesus and the crowd. In this story, we see the grace of Jesus more clearly than most anywhere else. We see the qualities of his grace, those qualities that should be in our life. And the first one is the grace of Jesus is not judgmental. You know, we tend to look at situations with human eyes. 
We judge a person's need for forgiveness and then we decide to give grace. But that wasn't Jesus' reaction here. When that crowd came to Jesus, he already knew they had sin in their lives. He knew they had chosen the woman and left the man. He was, she was caught committing adultery. He knew that there were things that were going on that were not right. He understood that each person in that crowd that was pressing in, each person who was going through this and making this woman have to deal with this, each one of them had sin. He knew it. He saw it. He understood it. And he could have right then said something. He could have pointed that out. He could have said, Bob, I know where you've been. Jim, I know where you've been. See, he could have been. Have you ever heard the song Harper Valley PTA? I love that song, Jeannie Riley, back in the day. Harper Valley PTA, she walks in there with her go-go boots on and her short mini skirt, and she just goes to task. And she tells every one of them, well, you know, you've been out drinking. She gets drunk because he's out messing around, and she goes through a whole list in this little bitty small community, right? Jesus could have done that. He could have made a spectacle. He could have looked at each of those individuals and said, you know what? You're wrong. He could have done to them what they were doing to this woman. Instead, he did something unexpected. He drew on the ground. That's always been the craziest thing to me in all of Scripture. There have been some crazy things in Scripture and some crazy things said, but the idea that Jesus confronted with this situation doesn't say anything. He stoops down and he starts writing. He just starts putting something in the ground. Now, I've often wondered what was it that he put there. I've often wondered what it was that he was writing. You know, what, what was he writing their names and a dash beside it? And then they're going, oh my gosh, what's he fixing to put? What was he just, I have a feeling what he did was he knelt down and he began writing the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods. Thou shalt not uh, have any idols. Keep the Sabbath day holy. I feel he started writing those things down. He started writing the Ten Commandments as a reminder that there's something going on. And then I have a feeling that he began to get to those horizontal sins and something changed in those people's minds. He knew they had sin, but he didn't confront them with it. He didn't go up to them and say, you're a sinner. Instead, he allowed their own conscience to convict them. He said, well, let he who has no sin throw the first stone. That's why I think he was writing the Ten Commandments. And he gets down to, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not covet. All these things that people do. All these things that, that are about relationship. And he just starts writing the law. That's what I think he was writing because then he says, let he who has no sin throw the first stone. He didn't say, y'all are a bunch of sinners too. Y'all need to get over it. He left conviction to their hearts and to the Holy Spirit. And even though the Holy Spirit was not indwelling yet, he was already at work in the life of believers. He was already at work. God used the Spirit from the beginning of time until now when He indwells believers. The Spirit was at work. And if we're going to abide in the grace of Jesus, our grace cannot be judgmental. We can't look at people and say, well, you know, you're sinning. You need to stop. That's not really how it works. People who are taught
behold, they're sinners. Look at me as a judger, not as a friend, not as someone to walk with them. The grace of Jesus here was not judgmental. And if we're going to abide in his grace, our grace can't be judgmental. We don't have the job of convicting people of sin. We do have the job of forgiving people. Colossians 3.13 says, forgive them as I have forgiven you. Our job isn't convicting people of sin. That is reserved for the Holy Spirit later in the book of John. The book of John says the Holy Spirit will convict them of their sin. We don't convict of their sin. We forgive as Jesus forgave. Our grace cannot be judgmental. There is no judgment in Jesus' grace. It allows the room for the Holy Spirit to do its job. But not only is the grace of Jesus not judgmental, the grace of Jesus is patient. Jesus never raises his voice in this entire encounter. I bet he wanted to. <laughs> they were attacking one of his children. Think about that. What happens when somebody attacks one of your kids? What happens when they do something that, that you know is completely wrong and it's against one of your kids or your grandkids? Right? Mama bear, papa bear come out. You want to say something. You want to do something. You're going to draw the line of the sin and you're going to make sure they know that this is wrong and they are in the wrong. But Jesus never raises his voice. He doesn't say anything. At first, he just draws. You know, sometimes I stop and count to ten before I say anything when I'm angry. Maybe Jesus was counting and saying one. Whatever he was writing, he wasn't immediately reacting. He wasn't doing anything that would be a reaction. He had the patience to wait on the Spirit. They persisted in questioning him, right? You know this wasn't a one question. You know they didn't just say, well, what do you think we should do? When he bent down, they kept saying, Jesus, what do you think? The law is clear. You know the law is clear. The law says to do this. What should we do? What should we do, Jesus? You ever been there? You ever been in that situation where you're thinking about something, you're mulling something over, you're trying to get a decision made, you're working, and you're already pressured. Maybe you're already a little angry and they just won't shut up. You ever been there? We've all been there. But the whole time, Jesus never loses it. He just simply says, very calmly, let he who was without sin throw the first stuff. The patience of Jesus in this episode. That's what we should have. Then he just goes back to drawing. If I'm Jesus, I'm holding their gaze. Think about it. I don't think Jesus said, let he who's without sin cast the first stone and then look at him on the stone cold. No, he said it and he went back to drawing. Me, I'm holding their gaze. I'm making sure they see it. I'm making sure they know. I'm staring them down and saying, I'm the man and you better do what I said. It's a good thing I'm not Jesus. Jesus simply writes again. Jesus simply patiently waits for the crowd to disperse. Because it says, and then they left one by one, starting with the oldest. <laughs> he doesn't attack. He simply guides them. And he waits. Our grace should have that patience. Sinner's sin. There's no surprise there. Right? Sinner's sin. We shouldn't be in a hurry to make everyone change. We can't force people to change. We can't force people to be who we want them to be. Only the Spirit can change people. Only the Spirit can make people do those things. Only the Spirit can guide them to that place. We should be able to wait on the work of the Spirit. 
We must understand that the work we're to perform and what work we're not to perform. We're to perform the work of forgiveness. We're to perform the work of guidance. We're to perform the work of love and, and, and fellowship. Those are the things that we are tasked with. We are not tasked with changing someone. We are not tasked with making them different. We are called to be patient as they struggle in their affliction. We are called to bear with the weaker brother. When we do that, when we understand this, we can find the patience to wait on the work of God. It may take longer than we like. We may have to walk with someone for years before they get to the point we think they need to be at. But it's still our duty just to wait and be patient on the Holy Spirit to do His work. The grace of Jesus isn't judgmental. The grace of Jesus is patient. And the grace of Jesus is complete. I want you to notice that nobody is forced to pay for their sin in this episode. Think about that. Nobody is forced to pay for their sin. Not the woman. Not the man she was with. Not the crowd who has come condemning her. No one is forced to pay for their sin. He didn't ask for public confession so they could get down to business. He didn't say anything. His nonverbal reply to the crowd was the same as his reply to the woman. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He said the same thing to the crowd without saying a word at all. Jesus was completely consistent. He never said the woman hadn't been sinning. He never said she wasn't caught where they said she was caught. He didn't accuse them of lying. He didn't say her sin wasn't real. He simply gave her the grace and forgave her sin. He even acknowledged the sin of the crowd, right? Let he who was without sin cast the first stone. He acknowledged their sin. He acknowledged that every one of them there was a sinner. But his response is simply go and sin no more. He has completely forgiven those around him. He's not holding on to that one sin that he can, so he can bring it up later. You know that's what we do, right? We hold on to that one sin. Yeah, I forgive you. But I'm not going to forget. That's the biggest lie from the pit of Satan. Now, I know some people will argue with me and say, you don't have to forget to forgive. But I think to truly forgive, you have to try to forgive. Because if you don't, you've got what you call your hurt garden. I call it your hurt garden. It's this little thing that you hold right there close to your heart. And you take those little sins, those little hurts, those little things that somebody did to you. You take all those little things and you plant them in that garden and you water it. You water it and you fertilize it and you tend to it and you weed it and you make it grow because you're holding on to that little hurt. Because next time something like that happens, I'm going to pull it up again. Next time when it happens, I'm going I'm to say it again. We've got to let go of those hurts. We've got to let go of those things and bring them up no more. You know, there are six billion people in this world. Don't let one ruin your day. Don't let one person get in your way. To have His grace means we forgive completely. To abide in the grace of Christ is to live a life that does not sit in judgment on those around us. It's to live a life that waits patiently on the work of the Holy Spirit. It's to live a life that completely forgives the failings of others. That's the life we're to strive for. 
life that's available to us if we simply allow God to work within our weakness. It's available if we simply abide in the vine who gives us life. What about you this morning? Are you letting His grace saturate your life? Are you admitting that your weakness so He can be made strong? As believers, we have a very special opportunity every day to have the grace of God. But right now in these few moments, we have an opportunity to come before His throne. Maybe today you have a need. You know, we can't really have an invitation in this format, but if you have a need today, my phone is open. Call me. Call me right after this is over. I'll pray with you. I'll talk with you. I'll do whatever you need to do. We are called to be people of grace. We are called to be people of grace who love people regardless of where they are in their sin. We're not called to make people clean. We're called to make people loved. We're called to show grace. We're called to be the people who say, you know what? If God can forgive me for that, I can forgive them for anything that they're doing. Today's a day of freedom, guys. Let's give that freedom to those around us as well. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessing.